0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Richards Report. My name is Ted Richards. This week, I'm speaking with a regular guest of the podcast and friend of the show, Six Park co-founder and co-CEO, Pat Garrett. Great to be here, Ted. Thanks for joining us, Pat. We're going to do something a bit different this episode. I'm usually reticent to talk about what's going on in the markets day-to-day, but what we're seeing now is a bit more than just the usual day-to-day noise. So interesting to have a chat and uh, get Pat's perspective on it. A bit of context, at the time of recording, it's currently mid March in 2020, and coronavirus has well and truly raised its ugly head. Fear increases around the world, the stock market has been drifting lower and lower, and we're kind of in uncharted territory right now. Morgan Housel captured it quite well when he said that it's hard to remember a time when there's been so little expectation of even slightly good news. It's a period of time we'll probably never forget. One of the good things about podcasts is they don't fade like our memory can. There's something called the false memory effect where people look back on events and remember them differently to how they actually occurred. Maybe at some time in the future we might reflect on this past month and maybe even this episode and say, why was all the chat so negative? Couldn't we just see the buying opportunity that this is? But there's a flip side to that though. There could also be more bad news to come. Okay. Let's get into the episode. As always, this podcast is just for informational and educational purposes only. Every effort has been made to ensure that the information is accurate and reliable at the time of recording. This podcast is not financial advice as we don't take into account your personal circumstances, nor do we provide any guarantees. People may hold positions in the companies and funds discussed in this episode. You're listening to The Richard's Report. And here is my discussion with Six part co-founder and co-CEO, Pat Garrett. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Okay, Pat, welcome back for another episode of The Richards Report. Great to be here, Ted. It's... Um... I will say it's, it's a little bit different to the last time we caught up for a chat, which I looked it up. It was the 21st of October, Pat, uh, last year, 2019. And from a market perspective, things were actually humming along then. Not so much right now, but we did we did reference the fact that we we should talk about when times aren't so uh, so bright and rosy as they, uh, they were back then.
1: Yeah, I think uh, obviously we'll touch on it in a few moments, but the reality is that uh, stock markets periodically have events that trigger things like now, and the 21st of October seems like about two years ago, (laughs) and I can't believe it's only Tuesday. It feels like Friday
0: times two. Yeah, you're exactly right. Now, um, let's not beat around the bush. At the time of recording, markets are officially in bear territory, and we've had some of the biggest single day losses in the history of the ASX. Coronavirus, stimulus packages, talks of recessions, cancellation of major international sporting events. If you read the headlines, you'll think this is like nothing we've ever experienced before. But from a stock market perspective, is it something that we haven't ever seen before? Pat, what's your thoughts on all these things that are going on right now?
1: Well, I think one of the um, things you read a lot about is uh, the phrase black swan. Um, And by definition, black swan means unexpected, uh, an extreme, um, tumultuous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so with these type of events, the root cause, the the different elements of it um, can vary in each situation. Um, I like to think of it as the the ingredients of the recipe can vary, but there's always a meal at the end, which is a pretty bad one. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, there's really, I don't think we've had in our lifetimes anything like this manifestation of trouble,
0: but the previous crashes, so to speak, tend to tend to follow similar patterns. Yeah. So let's let's talk about those patterns. So if you go went back ten years ago to the financial crisis, yep. even though the catalyst was quite different in that that was a bubble bursting in um, in so many different areas. Yep. I think it went down a, a roughly a forty percent drawdown or, or or somewhat similar. And if you go ten years before that. It was the uh, the tech bubble yep. of um, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, and well, it's not ten years before that. But it's probably closer to fifteen or so. You've got the uh, the crash of eighty seven, and a lot of these patterns, from a crash point of view, actually look similar. So we can we can draw some lessons from these. Yeah, w-
1: whether it's the financial markets getting themselves into. Uh, strife by overcomplicating things, and then greed takes over, like the, like the GFC, or things like a um, societal problem, like we're experiencing now. They, they're almost unavoidable over the passage of time, um, but what they do is, is destabilize, and then you see phases of denial, um, fear, panic, acceptance, and recovery. Uh, it, it, the duration and extent of which can vary each time, but that's generally the pattern.
0: And that's when we're kind of looking at the event in isolation and the emotions that people are going through when that happens. But when we look back um, with the benefit of hindsight yeah. and we see how the market behaved after the event, it actually paints a bit of a different story. And I think it's, it's misattribution of memory and um, from a behavioural point of view, they also call it a hindsight bias. I'm interested. You, there is a chance we, we may look back at, in these times and, and say, you know, despite all the negative talk, was it, wasn't it obvious to be the buying opportunity that it was? Why, why were you all so negative?
1: Yeah, well, I think
0: another manifestation of that is if you think of the movie The
1: Big Short, right? if, if, as you watch that movie, you sort of, it's easy to think, how could people not have seen this? Yes. Um, and how could people have gotten away with this? Uh, without anyone stepping in and raising the flag earlier before basically a giant implosion, so to speak. Um, so I do think there is a tendency to look back after that recovery phase
0: um, and potentially see things in a different way. Pat, when it comes to investing at Six Park, we have a, a rules-based approach to investing in that we periodically rebalance clients' portfolios yep. when there's drift in certain asset classes. Yep. Rebalancing serves an important role Most of our clients have a certain level of defensive assets in their portfolio, and these are providing the important role. Pat, can you tell us a bit about what that will be doing for their portfolio?
1: Yeah, well, just maybe taking a step back, when you refer to rules-based approach, we do an assessment for each client as to what their kind of growth defensive risk appetite profile looks like, and then we construct a portfolio based on that. So rule number one is try to get the right profile, risk profile, and portfolio construction for the person so that it suits um, what they're looking for in an investment. And then in the ongoing, once that's implemented, in the ongoing portfolio management, uh, you touched on one of the more important aspects, which is rebalancing, um, because people's exposure to growth and defensive assets will change over time. And, as they drift from um, the profile that's been recommended, unless their situations change or they want a different um, portfolio, it's prudent to basically what you do is you s- you sell off a little bit of what's outperformed and you buy a little bit of what's underperformed and so you you kind of automate the process of buy low and sell high and you remove a lot of the emotional which which intuitively doesn't make a lot of sense but you're just doing it with a little portion of the portfolio but um, a fair bit of data has gone in to prove that that's an effective way to keep your portfolio managed.
0: And having that rules-based approach removes the gut instincts and the yeah. emotional side where people can probably start to, I guess, waver in their investment philosophy. I yep. think, Pat, I do like speaking about the psychological side of investing, and we've already touched on it a bit, is it influences our behavior so much. So let's have a chat about the power of something we're, many of us are probably feeling right now, and that is loss aversion. Yeah, yeah. And for those not familiar with that term, that is something that describes the emotion where uh, the feeling of losses is twice as powerful as the feeling we experience when we gain something. And um, we're having days where the market is down around. We've even seen ten percent, ten percent, one day, and then yeah. then up the next. And, Admittedly, in this example, there's a lot of a lot more uh, there's been a lot more down days um, than up days. But when taken in isolation, the power of loss aversion is massive. Pat, yep. we're both investors uh, working day to day in the industry. Yep. Are you noticing this effect on your psychology too? Well, I think the power of loss aversion is when it when it happens over
1: over time. Yeah, it does compound. And, doesn't it, and it? it compounds and it compounds. Because the ten percent days are sort of numbing. Yeah. But it's when you sort of see it day after day and then the fear starts to build. For me, uh, for me personally, um, I think this manifested when uh my father passed away in nineteen ninety seven and I had a bit of work to do sort of putting the um his estate and assets together to make my mom's life stable and whatnot. And so movements in markets worried me on a daily basis um, because I was, you know, just incredibly worried about my mom's financial well-being. Um, I'm less so now probably just having been involved in kind of being familiar with the investment philosophy at Six Park, which is if you worry about the stuff day to day, you're really going to knock yourself out. Where I do worry a little bit about it is with our clients because um, we've had the benefit of being in the financial markets for a while. And even though it still affects us, we at least kind of We've been there. We kind of know how to respond and and manage some of those emotions, whereas a lot of our clients are going through some of this for the first time. Um, and so it's it's that I worry about that, and
0: so that's why we work really hard to try to help people not make mistakes based on that. Yeah, Pat, you're, you're exactly right. Something that I've noticed is I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I will peer at my phone in the middle of the night just to see what's going on in the U.S., and, and uh, it's always a lot easier to get back to sleep when I see a lot of green on the screen yeah. and uh, when you see a bit of red in the middle of the night and some of the, the, the size of the numbers yeah. uh, in um, what has been going down. Yeah, a bit harder to get back to sleep, so experiencing the, uh, the power of loss aversion there. Mm-hmm. Pat, we've been getting a lot of questions from clients wanting to know when the bottom might be. And actually, no, I, I won't anchor you in any way. What's your thoughts on how to answer this question?
1: Um, we're obviously in... Um, to use a word that's been around a lot, unchartered territory, which is the nature of these events. Um, and so uh, the short answer is I have no idea for we at the bottom. Um, and it's, that's guesswork. But I do think it's fair to say that there's uh, a fair bit of volatility still to play out just because of the nature of the fact that um, the impact uh, that this coronavirus is going to have uh, has a little ways to go before there's actual data that we can look at to say, okay, this is what the runway looks like, long, short. This is the impact, big, small. And so, uh, markets are down thirty-ish percent. You know, that's a big number. Could they go down further? Of course. Um, but I think trying to trying to guess that
0: and trying to time that's pretty tough. Oh, Pat, I, I totally agree about the bumps in the road ahead and the volatility because it's been caused by so many so many different things. Yeah, uh, one of which is. The range of opinions of experts is quite wide. Yeah. So uncharted territories for what experts thinking what may lie ahead, let alone uh, investors. I just want to go back to the question about people trying to pick what the bottom is. Yeah. Many people think that there's going to be some flag or some sign point where we've, we've had some soft landing in the bottom or uh, markets will settle down. Yeah. But... Pat, I, I don't know what your thoughts it's, it's probably when you're seeing that you've missed out yeah i think I, I, I think for those wanting to wait till things are stable
1: they will have missed probably a 20 or 30 percent recovery um because that's an, that's the nature of the the recoveries from these um type of events they're unpredictable they can be uh they're typically fairly s- swift and there's plenty of data. I think the, the one quoted a lot is that if in the 20-year period ended not long ago, if you missed the 20 biggest up days, your,
0: your returns over those 20-year periods were halved. There is a fantastic um, stat. I think J.P. Morgan might have yeah, it. Kind of yeah, it, heard, it, it which, was. Um, most of the best days from a historical point of view from, from returns come within two weeks of the worst days.
1: It all tends to be um, that both the down and the ups tend to be clustered and so if you try to time it and you miss out on a few of those clusters you've
0: kind of permanently missed out on on um, the both the upside as the downside okay say you did want to invest and you had some cash once again this is purely hypothetical this is not advice Yep. what's some different strategies people could do if you're lucky enough to be sitting on some cash right now and you're wanting to get it invested in the market okay so Hypothetical, so uh, I'll assume investing in say
1: uh, property or a house is not part of the equation. You're talking about the share market and um, different asset classes uh, on the share market. Um, I would say if you're 20 years old um, and you have the stomach for it, and it's your retirement money, you'd put it in. I'd I'd do a Warren Buffett and put it in the in the in the S and P 500. My bias because I'm from the U.S. Um, over a really long time horizon, um, I, I think that's probably your best bet to grow your money. Um, there's, so there's a lot of qualifiers with what I just said. Um, not everyone's in that position. That said, uh, the stock market generally over time is going is to provide good returns and there's different elements and different asset classes. So our investment philosophy involves a couple things. T- time in the market is better than time in the market and diversification matters, etc. Uh, we also believe in um, in the benefits of dollar cost averaging for people who are maybe emotionally not well equipped to put everything in the market on in one day.
0: So just for those are not familiar with the term, do- dollar cost averaging, uh, a lump sum investment, it is what it is. Uh, yep. Making an investment of say $10,000 tomorrow, dollar cost averaging is say, Breaking that parcel up into smaller amounts and investing over a period of time.
1: Yeah, and the idea being that over that time, there will be ups and downs in the market. So when it's down, you're buying at a low price, and when it's when it's up, you're buying at a higher price. But you're you're ending up with basically a, a blended entry price that well it can protect against adverse yeah adverse yeah. market movements yeah. and. Um, because if you do it all at once, you don't know
0: whether you're at the top or at yeah. the bottom of a mini cycle. Because d- we do have questions from from potential clients looking at how to enter into this market as to which is the better strategy: lump sum or dollar cost averaging. Yeah. But you don't actually end up knowing which is no. the better strategy no. until the benefit of hindsight, right. when you can look back. And um,
1: it, uh, that's a personal journey that somebody has to figure out. But it's it helps that they know.
0: Um, the pros and cons of each. Mm. And with the amount of volatility we're seeing, Pat, day-to-day movements aren't rational. And a lot of it may come down to a bit of luck because uh, if you invested uh, on a day where the day before it pulled back 10% and the next, yeah. once you're invested, it went back up 7%, yeah. you, you you couldn't say that there was a fundamental reason why you didn't invest that day and you did that day and um, yeah. you are able to... To, to miss the the ten percent and capture the seven percent, and the dollar cost averaging, it really hedges against those yeah. those market movements.
1: I, I um I tried to pretend a few moments ago, Ted, that I was sort of emotionally immune from some of these things because of my background. But, um, uh, I put a little bit of money in the market not long ago, just because I felt like we're we're, we're either. You know, its asset prices have come down, so it, you know I'll, I'll put a little bit of spare cash in, and the next day the markets went up five percent, and, and and I will admit, I thought I was a really <laughs> smart guy. <laughs> 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 <And> then, <laughs> I, I won't say where where prices are now relative to when I got in, and I'm glad it was just a toe in the water, just um, to to, uh, to perhaps see what see what the markets would do
0: but Pat you know. I, I didn't have this in my notes I, d- I had no intention of, of broaching this but That's good. Uh, if, if you're going to mention yours I'll, I'll mention mine but um I added to my portfolio recently too where I, I saw that um, I thought well you know the market's at a sizable discount right now yeah. I'm just going to um, um, add it to my portfolio and the initial movements of the market at that time was a little bit of a, an yeah. upward Tradiction enough, I, I was metaphorically patting myself <laughs> on, the, on the back. on my have even oh, literally what, pat that's, <laughs> that's what I saw you doing in the office. <laughs> but um, uh, but it, it's
1: an interesting point there because you say you, you bought because it, uh, things seemed undervalued. That's obviously all relative because were they overvalued to start with? Yeah. And the answer is... Um, looking five, five years from now look back and and see see and the, and and it's almost certain that it's not
0: going to matter and that's exactly my my mindset and that yep. I've I've got a long-term investment horizon yep. and um, I'd rather get it invested and in, and capture some of this upside yep. um and aware that I may not be the best but um uh, what I do think is important with investing is it's not about risking a lot to be the best but not risking much and never being the worst yep. is, is, is a, is a yep. far more prudent investment strategy. Yeah. Let's move on. If we zoom out a little and look at how coronavirus may influence things later on in the year, because so much of what we've spoken about is the next few weeks and months ahead. I want to talk about the US election up, yep. coming up in uh, November of 2020. Pat, if you asked me two months ago, back in January, yep. I would have thought Trump was sitting pretty comfortable in the next election. Um, Barry Ritholtz, he tweeted this a few weeks ago. If the elections were today, Trump would lose in a landslide and the Dems would retake the Senate. But the election is in November. Who knows how much changes between now and then. Pat, uh, how are you seeing this play out for Trump's chances? Um, Probably not
1: good, generally speaking, in terms of what's happened in the last four weeks. Trump was likely um, going to benefit from uh, campaigning on a strong economy, strong uh, jobs, and early signs of some wage growth. Pretty hard to unseat a sitting president that can, can um, pound that drum really hard. Uh, that's obviously gone completely out the window.
0: <laughs> um, and Well, we shouldn't laugh. Well, no, exactly, yeah. Because he he's proven he's proven me wrong before. No, in terms and, of, and,
1: and yeah, and and I, he's done some things that you know are, are laudable, but um, I dare say that some people um, would view his leadership as maybe not inspiring enough to make up the gap that he's going to have to deal with in terms of econo- some of the economic impact of what's going on, and where he had the benefit of. Um, I guess I would call it anger amongst a certain element of the voter base. That's probably been replaced with fear, and I don't think that's going to play as well for, for him. Um, you're right, time will tell. It's a long time to November, but um, the, the, the trend or the likely outcome of, of what's going on now is probably going to not be good for him between now and then.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to keep an eye on this for so many reasons, you know, one of which is what the US economy means to the rest of the world. Another of which is, you know, this catalyst, this, this black swan event of coronavirus relies so much on uh, the healthcare system yeah. of countries and the US, don't have, they don't have the healthcare yeah. um, system that other parts of the world have like we, we have in Australia. Yeah. Um, so interesting to see how, th- how that plays out, sticking with politics, um, and but away from Trump, I, I just want to touch on um, uh, Bloomberg, uh, who is actually at the time of recording. Uh, he's pulled out of the Democratic race, and um, but I just want to pause and chat about his run and uh, chat about that for a few minutes. That was an interesting one. Uh, yeah, as it was, it was noteworthy for for quite a few reasons. Obviously, how much he spent of his own money. Um, there are some suggestions out there. It was around half a billion. Yeah, uh, that he spent in a or more. Yeah, yeah. or more yeah, yeah. in a quickly. Failed attempt at, at the run for presidency. What I want to speak about is he did some really interesting marketing campaigns, yeah. just like trolling Trump yeah. with billboards that read things like Donald Trump cheats at golf, <laughs> Donald Trump eats burnt steak, Donald Trump lost the popular vote, and Donald Trump went broke running a casino. And that's classic. Like, what, what, what I want to talk about is. I quite like this. I I really, I I liked it. And even though, even though he he pretty much kind of failed, um, but I guess his marketing team took the view that for most voters, if you want to point to what's happening with debt levels under the presidency, it's really hard to get some context. Is there, they're just big numbers, you know, for, for most people, what's the difference between a billion and a trillion? Yeah. You know. But when you hear that someone cheats at golf, yeah. you don't need to consider that with any context. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. Even something like Trump eats burnt steak. Like we all know someone that eats, gets their steak yeah. done well yeah. done, and yeah. you, you know you give it to them about you just ruining a good steak. Oh, I think that one's probably the funniest. Like because I know in the US, um, you love the barbecues yeah, just yeah. as much as we do here in Australia. So it probably place a national identity a bit there too pat what have you been hearing from back home the last few weeks when it comes to the election well i th- i
1: think along the lines of what we talked about before there was um a resignation that uh four more years was probably it was in- given. In- inevitable and i think what people are and, and part of that is um probably the Democrats needing to get their act together a little bit, get their messaging together a little bit, and put forth somebody that people would rally a bit around. And um, th- But Biden's been able to do that, putting policies aside and whatnot. He's been, he's been able to do that, and it, it, I think it's mystified a few people how it all just happened so quickly. Um, but the reality is there is a bit of a... I think, j- I
0: think oh, they're calling it Joe Mentum. <laughs> Joe Mentum. I haven't <laughs> heard that one.
1: That's excellent. Um, and, and the markets clearly like it to some extent, because, um, I think that the, when he won the, uh, super Tuesday, um, markets reacted pretty much specifically on that news with like a 5% jump, which was obviously temporary, but, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's a really interesting question, Ted, about what I'm hearing. People are basically kind of numb, I think in the U S. Um, it's been a pretty wacky three years and um, it 's pretty pretty divisive, obviously, and so I think people um, are still probably trying to process is you know is this change going to happen, and how do I feel about it and what 's the impact and of course they 're distracted by other things now, yep. um, but it will be very interesting once the candidate on the democratic side is determined and they can actually put you know one person next to the other. Um, and focus on what they want to do with their you know with their vote that'll be that'll be interesting but i'm just hearing people i think start to realize there is actually another option out there
0: i i think back to where we were close to four years ago um thinking that trump was no chance to get in and um take some take some lessons from that so as much as i I like to try and um think about what may or may not happen I'm, i'm aware that we couldn't Anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen. All right, let's move away from um, coronavirus politics, the US, and into the world of sport. Um, I like it. (laughs) It's the start of a lot of Australian football codes, and um, all the experts are trying to pick what the top eight may look like at the end of the year, and let's put aside the fact that we might not even have a competition this year, Um, but... What I want to talk about here, Pat, is there's a lot of similarities between trying to pick what the top eight may look like and trying to pick stocks because um, so many experts just get it way off. They get it uh, really wrong. First thing, black swan events happen to both. So a lot of people are picking West Coast to be on top of the, the footy season in the AFL. And a lot of the thesis around that is how good West Coast's home ground advantage is. But if they're playing in front of an empty stadium for a lot of the season, I, I don't know how, how good of that, that home, yeah. grounded, home ground advantage is, whether it's advantageous or not. Yeah. But anyway, what I want to speak about here is imagine you put together a team of players and the AFL allows you to enter into this actual AFL professional competition yeah. with your own team, Pat. Yeah. One, you know, you, I, you know I can't kick. Okay, okay. <laughs> you don't have to pay the players in your team. Yep. You don't have to train them, including you don't have to do a pre-season. They don't need to rock up or anything like that. You don't have to do anything about the stress of managing injuries or anything like that. And at the end of the year, in the AFL, your team finishes 8th finishes or ninth. So middle of the table. Middle of the table. Yep. Whilst you didn't win the premiership that year, Pat, importantly, you beat... A lot of professional teams yep. spending a lot of money, time, and effort working yep. every day, yep. and they still finish below you. Yeah, Pat, this this example it's pretty much what an ETF does, what yeah, an exchange traded yeah. fund yep. does, in that it it just gets you mid table. Yeah, um, and I, I just think it'd be so interesting to see if can we get some form of ETF that uh, can provide us some form of. Benchmark expected return for the footy, yeah, for the football, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the, you know, the interesting thing is you would um, you would have a, a measure of certainty with your fan base probably because they know the product they're getting. Yep. Uh, they don't expect you to win every game, but they know that you're going to compete, um, and there's some real benefit to
0: that. I uh, I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, so I, apologies, but Pat, what I do want to acknowledge that we. Looks like we are entering in what some may call bad times, yeah, and yeah. we need sport as a bit of an outlet, and it, it may not be there for us, so it's interesting to think what we might replace it with. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I'm i just kind of at a loss as to kind of what weekends <laughs> might look like for, for many people that are used to watching back to back sporting events yeah, at this time yeah. of year.
1: Yeah, well, I think, um, I think there's a lot of things, I mean. We, we could go on for a while about what good things might happen from in terms of society and culture out of the tough times that are ahead but if little things like getting people to read start reading books again picking up hobbies again um hopefully not relying too much on social media because i think this is a good chance to unplug a little bit i was i was doing yard work in uh my front yard on sunday and and neighbors came out and we started chatting obviously there's a bit to chat about and um, uh, and then the conversation drifted into non-coronavirus things but there was it was sort of a um, spontaneous kind of community engagement that I think um, probably wouldn't have you know otherwise have have happened and I know there'll be elements of self-isolation where you kind of can't do that but if it gets people maybe thinking more about some of the basics um, I do want sport to come back obviously but I don't think it's a bad thing for people to have to kind of take a step back and and figure out what, what what you know what 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 do they do to entertain themselves what hobbies do they
0: like pat I, I see you know some of the things that are some of the videos that are popping up on social media from italians and how that community is oh, yeah, yeah, you know, playing, playing out ball yeah yeah I, I can't see my street kind of <laughs> busting out into song but yeah, yeah. it does give me optimism for uh, how we can turn this significant negative into a positive I I don't know I don't know whether
1: I told you this but that happened the other I was having uh, a coffee at 11.30 so in a cafe in the city here and so it was before prime time so it was some people in there but it wasn't too busy and sort of a toe tapping song came on um, I think it was the Mavericks I want to dance something like that and I can't make this up like the whole cafe which was about 12 people just started dancing it was the staff but then everyone else in the cafe joined in. People were just look were just I think gagging for a reason to de stress and dance around and do stuff. And I don't know what shape or form that takes in other ways, but I just hopefully there's some good stuff like that that happens.
0: We having an Irish coffee <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, a few questions from the mailbag. One of which was from my older brother Jake. So full disclosure there, who, who wants to speak about crypto? Jake is obviously a fan of Bitcoin and I'm not, but um, I do, th- I, Pat, I do want to have a, a brief little chat about this yep. because I wanted to compare Bitcoin to the bluest of blue chips that we have in Australia um, and that is what I thought was probably Commonwealth Bank. Yep. So at the time of recording, what is it, mid-March, uh, Commonwealth Bank's actually down now 30%. Bitcoin, so, is that year to date? Uh, or peak, since pizza trough yep. in, uh, in 2020. So I think that's probably from about mid-Feb, probably right. over the last month. Yeah. Um, yeah, CBA is down 30%. Bitcoin is down from an Australian dollar pers- perspective, down about 45%. So some of that might be currency. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting because so many people that have been speaking about Bitcoin um, in good times saw it as a. Potential new gold, and that it could be a, a flight to safety, right? Uh, and provide a level of resilience like other defensive asset classes um, and commodities yep. may. Um, but we haven't seen that play out as yet. So uh, I just thought it was a, a bit of a, a talking point there. To be fair, well, Bitcoin is outside of my circle of competence, but I I kind of do think Pat, like if if I'm going into a hard time and I'm thinking about a potential recession and I I want to store wealth some way. But I'm not looking, I'm not, personally, I'm not looking to Bitcoin to provide that level Mm. of
1: security. No, my view, um, I'd like to go on the record and say, I don't find it as a defensive asset. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: I I, I concur. (laughs) um, In in fact, I I know very little about the space but I gather there's lots of cryptocurrencies out there and um, uh, presumably at some point there'll be some form of this asset currency, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, that um, has some sort of impact uh, and, and, and becomes a viable, um, well, better understood uh, yeah. asset, I guess, or investment. But I just don't see that happening yet.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't want to harp on, on this too much, but maybe... What we're going through might be the bit of a, a clean out in the industry yeah. uh, and a bit of a proof point. And I'm, I'm trying to look for the positive here for a, a cryptocurrency that um, if there is one standing through what we go through, maybe that might prove a provide a level of security for, for people to think that that, that um, can happen going forward. Okay, before we go we talk a lot about investing and part of investing is looking at businesses yep. and I'm always interested in fascinating businesses. Pat, urban surf. Um, <laughs> I was scheduled to do my first urban surf this weekend, which um, for those not familiar with urban surf, it's a what it? man-made surfing wave just near Tullamarine Airport. Yeah, it's Airport. an artificial, artificial wave. wave yeah. Yeah. Pat, how many surfing time, wave. Yeah. How many times have you been now? Uh, three or four. Three or four. Okay. So, um, Pat, for those uh, not familiar that don't live in Melbourne, um, can you tell us tell yeah. us a bit about
1: what's your thoughts? Well, I think um, as far as uh, like reviewing the business, so to speak, I think it's fantastic. It's um, So, it's, it's like an enormous pie-shaped pool that's got a um, uh, sort of a wall or walking piece down the middle so that it pumps waves out so you can get a left-hand wave or a right-hand wave. And they can pretty much control whether it's a beginner, intermediate, or advanced wave. And so it's basically made surfing accessible and a bit more user-friendly to sort of the whole community at large. And um, I think I have a bias, obviously. I think surfing's a great sport. I think it's great exercise. I I think it's a very uh, mentally healthy thing to do, to go out in the water. And... um, but it costs a lot of money to build one of these things. So they've, you know, as far as it being a sustainable business model, they've got to market it well and do all the They've got to do all the basic yeah. business, business stuff right. And they seem to be doing that from what I can tell. I've gone to six to
0: sessions that start at 6 a.m. in the dark, and they're, and they're packed. <laughs> well, Pat, I, I called them up today, and I thought that maybe uh, with what we're seeing going on in the economy right now, it might have opened up a few spots of availability. Yeah. But uh, that hasn't played no, out. No. So... Um, uh, good on them. They're, they're still just as hard to get um, a booking with them uh, as ever. And uh, yeah. And I should also mention that this is not me just trying to flog their product just so I can get a free surfer. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm paying full retail. Well, if you do get a free one, tell them you've got a mate, you've got to go. <laughs> <free. laughs> <laughs> okay. Before we go, a shout-out, Pat, to NBA player Matthew Vadova who, um, no shit, got in touch with me recently, and he listens into this podcast. Fantastic. So awesome, Matt. Mate. Tell your mates in the NBA, get them on board. They've get got them. free time now. <laughs> oh, they've got some free time, so they, uh, they can give me a rating on iTunes too. Now, I haven't been getting public transport too much over over the last week or two with what's going on, but um, I do, uh, do want to sh- share a bit of a story because uh, and do a bit of a shout-out to someone who gave me a tap on the shoulder when I was on the train recently, Pat, and... Uh, He showed me his phone, and he had the headphones on, and I turned around, and he was listening into the episode. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Which episode? uh, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I was so excited, and it was just at that moment I realised, oh my god, I've gone one train stop too far, (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't have the heart to tell someone that was listening into my to the podcast episode who listens in for investing advice and investing help that I. I can't even get off on the right train stop. So, <laughs> so I just, you, you walked off with confidence? Well, I, I just pretended that I was meant to get off at East Richmond and yeah, um, yeah. Um, just sheepishly sat there and just go, what the hell just happened there? But um, <laughs> The price you pay for yeah, fame. Yeah, so if you do see me on the train, you're listening into the podcast episode, please, please let me know because um, it means a lot. Um, okay, let's, let's wrap it up. In these uncertain times, I hope everyone stays safe and healthy. Who knows how this all will play out. Stay calm, people, especially in the supermarket aisles. I hope that you stay safe and healthy. And um, Pat, thank you very much for joining and having the chat today. Really appreciate it. Of course, we're going to have another chat at some point in the future. Thanks, Ted. I look forward to uh, looking back on this and seeing what what happens. I think think it's an important um, learning experience to go through. All right. See you next time on The Richards Report.